0: All right. Well, we are in the midst of our fifty-week series. We—I I, I, know—if you—if you're new and you hear me say that, you're like, "Oh, this church is crazy." All right. Yes, fifty weeks. We've been committing to the Book of Acts. We've been going through Acts all year. We started the first Sunday in January, and right now we're in week twenty-seven. It's just been a really, really great time. And uh, we're going to continue engaging in the book of Acts today, going through Acts 17. Now, you may remember that we started in Acts 17 last week. And we talked about Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas, they're were, they were on their missionary journey. And as they're uh, continuing in this missionary journey, specifically connecting with Gentiles, Gentiles are people who weren't Jews or not Jews, they went to a place called Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, things were going well. They were experiencing people that that were having their lives changed through the gospel, but they also riled up some Jews in that city. These Jews are described as the jealous Jews, and these jealous Jews wanted to create this kind of fake chaos. And so they began to pretend that Paul and Silas were responsible for all these different riots in the city, but they were pretending that that was the case because they recruited people to create the riots. And they convinced the authorities that that Paul and Silas needed to be punished. So Paul and Silas, they were under threat. And because they were under threat, the church leaders, these new church leaders in Thessalonica, sent them away, and they ended up going to a place called Berea and that's where we're going to start here today so i'm going to invite you to turn to your bibles if you have them with you acts 17. acts 17. And We're going to uh, start uh, with verse 10, and in verse 10, um, we're going to uh, look at several of these verses, and then we're going to start breaking these verses down. If you don't have your Bibles, no worry, there are some in front of you in the pews, but the scripture will also be on the screen. So starting in verse 10, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica, these jealous Jews that we learned earlier in in, uh, 17, but when they learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up, just like they did in Thessalonica. Verse 14, the believers immediately then sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. And those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him, and some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Oropagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. That's where we're going to stop today. All right. First thing we're going to do, Matthew, I need your help with this. I want you to um, start a timer on your phone, 60 seconds when I say go, all right? And so what I'm going to ask you to do, um, you, if you have a pen, great. If you don't, there are some in front of you. You have your worship folder. I want you to write down in 60 seconds as many key words related to the gospel, as many key words related to the gospel that you can think of. 60 seconds. Now. Alright, fantastic. 60 seconds. You wrote down, hopefully, some keywords that you thought of with the gospel. Now, when I, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that is, if you've given your life to Jesus, that means that you are saved. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you are saved, that you're guaranteed eternal life. Now, when I, when, uh, when I talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, many of you are responding internally, if not externally, yeah, of course I know the gospel. Yeah, I totally know the gospel. That's what we're going to challenge you today. Now, remember the foundation of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it can be summarized by the Holy Spirit empowers God's people to be his witness to the world. The Holy Spirit empowers God's people to be his witness to the world. That's what the whole book of Acts is about. So the world is our audience. It's the church's audience. And that audience is broken down into three main groups. Three main groups. The first is those who are eager to learn. That can be the, the Bereans, right? The Bereans were eager to learn all that they could about God and Jesus and Scripture. There's also another group, those who are agitated and accusatory. That can be uh, described by or seen as in the jealous Jews. And there's a third group, those who are maybe interested, but they're mostly uninformed and skeptical. And we see that in the Athenians here. The first that we have is, is, is the Bereans, the ones who are eager to learn. Paul comes into, Paul and Silas go into Berea, and they do the same thing that they did in Thessalonica. But in Berea, there's, there's great interest. It actually talks about how the Bereans were like testing Scripture, as Paul was talking about this, they were like, oh, but we really want to lean into that. We don't want to just take everything at face value. Actually, we want to really understand the nuts and the bolts of what it is that you're talking about. And then there's that other group, right? Right? Uh, the the agitated and the accusatory. We see that in the jealous Jews. They started in Thessalonica when Paul and Silas were telling others about Jesus, and they were jealous or uh, they were frustrated that maybe their fame or their glory was being tainted or taken away. Uh, they had an audience that maybe they felt they had on their back pocket, and Paul and Silas are now infiltrating of that. And, and so they're coming out with agitation and, and an accusatory approach. And then we have that third group, the Athenians, those who are, who are mostly uh, maybe interested, right? But mostly they're uninformed, and they're skeptical, Now, here's the deal. Uh, The church, when we consider these three groups, there are two groups that we're largely comfortable with. We're totally comfortable with the Bereans, those who are eager, right, and they're willing to learn. Uh, That's like like a Christian's dream to come up to somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their learned Savior and has a genuine interest. That's like, (laughs) yes, this is is what evangelism is always going to be like. You know the other group though that Christians are very comfortable with is those who are accusatory and agitated. We're comfortable with it because maybe on one end we kind of expect it but on the other end it actually it for some of us makes us feel like we have an out. Well, they're they're accusatory, they're agitated, Uh, they clearly aren't interested in what I have to say, and I'll be able to explain that to anybody who questions it, problem solved. Now, those two groups have problems of their their own, but the third group is what I want to really lean into, the Athenians. Those who are, are somewhat interested but mostly they're uninformed and skeptical this group this audience makes up the majority of unbelievers and it is the group that scares the living daylights out of the church we're going to lean into why why is that why is that the case now the Athenians they worship many different gods through shrines and idols, and they threw everything into their worship, even the kitchen sink. And smack dab amid all that worship, Paul is given an innocent but profound and important question that many Jesus followers, many people in the church, dread hearing. This is what they say to Paul. May we know what this teaching is that you are presenting you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Many of us, if we were in that situation and heard those words, our hearts would sink. And that's hard to swallow, because we wouldn't want to admit in this place that that's true. But Paul didn't mince words. He didn't waste any time. He entirely seized the opportunity. Why? Because Paul was three things. He was changed, he was willing, and he was prepared. Now, it shouldn't be um, any, uh, any surprise that the gospel message's epicenter is Jesus. It is Jesus' death and resurrection and his invitation to follow him that the church must bear witness to the world. Again, what is it that acts says? What is acts all about? The church is the Holy Spirit empowering us to be God's witness to the world. Once an individual is changed because of Jesus Christ, that person should be willing, yes, that person should be willing to be God's witness to the world. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. But it's not enough to just be willing. Once an individual is changed because of Jesus, that's the first thing, that person should be willing to be God's witness to the world by being prepared to then share the message of the gospel to those who are not saved. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have so here's the million dollar question are you prepared in 2007 and 2008 the world experienced an economic crisis it was the most severe financial crisis since the great depression But yet those who incorrectly predicted different outcomes leading up to that crisis were still being listened to in 2009. This is well after the crisis uh, caused the world to suffer from listening to their expertise. So why was that? Well, according to research by Don Moore of Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, people prefer advice from those who have the appearance of confidence, regardless of their actual level of expertise. This means that it pays to appear overconfident. It is fair to point out that actual expertise can undoubtedly lead someone to appear uber-confident. That is certainly true, but there are many times that this isn't the case. And those with a minor level of expertise can often manufacture confidence to appear as an expert. And as Christians, we are notorious for this. See, many church-going Christians, uh, they agree. We promote the call to share the gospel of the resurrected Jesus. We present over confidence, regardless of our lack of expertise as to what the gospel actually is. And this is significantly more true for those that have been a Christian for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. The longer we have been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, the longer we've lived a life as a Christian. And the longer we are not an expert as to what the gospel is and how to share it, the more overconfident we become because none of us would want to be in this situation where we're in our midst and have to admit, yeah, I really don't know what the gospel is. And yeah, I really don't know how to share it with others. So how do you be prepared? There's an article uh, written by... Uh, Desiring God website uh, four reasons we don't share the gospel and this is what it says how many times have you heard the gospel in a sermon book or conversation if you've been a Christian even for a short time you have likely heard the gospel hundreds of times yet many of us still struggle to articulate the truths of the gospel in a simple coherent and intelligible way Could you share the essential message of the gospel in 60 seconds right now? I'm going to just go ahead and do the shot across the bow. Please, please, please forgive me because we're going to run probably about 10 minutes over. All right? You can blame me. Send me emails. All right? But this is important. This is important. 60 seconds. When you approach an unbeliever, either when they approach you or you approach them, You have a very short window of time, a very short window of time to enlighten them as to who Jesus is and what the gospel of the resurrected Jesus is and how they can experience it. Whenever I think about writing messages, one of the things I always remember is I need to be able to give a message in the amount of time it takes me to ride an elevator 10 stories. If I can't share my message in an elevator ride of 10 stories, then I don't know what I'm talking about on a Sunday morning. So how is it that we give a message in 60 seconds? Well, we forget that the gospel is five key points. Five key points. Those those five key points of the gospel is the person of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ, the authority of Scripture, the forgiveness of sin and eternal life, and then repentance and faith. Those five things. Leave this up on the screen. Write these down. The five points of the Gospel is the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus. According to the Scriptures, forgiveness of sin and eternal life, and repentance of faith. First, there's the person of Jesus. Jesus is more than just a good man. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God with us. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior to all. And He is King. Then there's the works of Jesus because of humanity's sin. Humanity was incapable of being in the presence of a holy and perfect God. Thus, Jesus needed to give his life as a ransom for our sins. He died on the cross for our transgressions. He was buried in the grave and rose three days later and is alive to today. And in doing so, Jesus exchanged his life for imperfect unholy sinners that's all of us by the way he took away our sins and he made us right before a holy god and then there's the according to scriptures the whole of the bible this whole book is about god's love personified through jesus christ when paul was sharing the scriptures with the bereans he didn't have the new testament by the way he was pointing them to the old testament that was what they had and Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament prophesied, promised. And Jesus then is the fulfillment of that promise forgiveness of sin and eternal life. It is only through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that we can receive forgiveness and then have the promise of eternal life this is what grace is remember unmerited favor grace is given to us not because of our works paul says so that no one can boast but because god gives it freely and then repentance and faith salvation depends on us realizing that we are sinful And coming before a holy God and saying, forgive me of my sin because I'm a sinner. I repent, I repent of my sin and I will turn away from my old nature as I walk in my new nature through faith, acknowledgement, that once a sinner does this, they are saved at once and for all time. That's the five, five components of the gospel. The person of Jesus Christ. The work of Jesus Christ. According to the scriptures. Forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And then repentance and faith. Why in the world am I spending time this morning explaining to you what you're probably thinking is obvious because i don't think it is i don't think it is i'm not here to shame anyone i'm here to challenge you if we as the church are going to be committed to the mission of the church empowered by the holy spirit To be God's witness to the world, to share the love of Jesus Christ, to be the conduit in which others experience the message of the gospel, then we better know what the heck we're talking about. It's the gospel of Jesus that saves, it's not us, it's the gospel. We spend so much time trying to be really good at things. Do you know how many hours it takes you to be a master at something? Anybody know? 10,000 hours. If you want to be a master at something, it requires you to do it for 10,000 hours. We spend so much of our time trying to be really good at things that we forget, tragically, That the one thing, the one thing that we are called to really be an expert in is sharing the love of Jesus to the world. So this is my challenge to you. Let's put up those five points again. My challenge is that that you lean into what these are. That you truly begin to digest and, and to work through that in your own life because I'll tell you this, that life is a plenty with opportunities to share Jesus with others. And if you, can, if you can work on being an expert in sharing Jesus with others, you know what the Holy Spirit is going to continue to do is provide those opportunities. And you know what you're going to experience? You're going to experience life with open eyes. I had a conversation even just a week ago. It was a cold call. I had never talked to this person before, never, never uh, met him before, but the but, you know, Holy Spirit brought us together for some reason. I'm on the phone with him, and I had a short window to share Jesus Christ with this person. And I did. I, I did it in 60 seconds. And that person on that phone that day received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I'm just telling you that because we need to be prepared for any moment and in any way because I wasn't at all thinking that that conversation would lead that way. But I can tell you there are many times that I have shared Jesus with others and they've said, no, I'm good. But we're planting seeds. Gospel in 60 Seconds. Jesus is more than just a good man. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God with us. He's the Son of God, the Messiah, and the Savior to all. He is Lord and King. And Because of humanity's sin, Jesus obediently died on the cross for our transgressions. He was buried in the grave and then rose from the dead, defeating death once and for all. And in doing so, Jesus exchanged his life for the life of sinners. Jesus took away our sins and he made us right before a holy God. And the entirety of the Bible points to God's love for humanity and to the Messiah, Jesus, who would come take away the sins of the world. And through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, we can receive the forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life. And this gift is not of our doing, but solely through the work of Jesus. This is called grace. Because we're given it freely, we don't deserve it. To receive this free gift of grace, the forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life, one must repent of their sin, believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord and place their trust in him. Once a sinner does this, they are saved at once and for all time. Five things. The person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, according to the scriptures, Forgiveness of sin and the eternal life. Repentance and faith. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I pray that, uh, that today for some of us, Lord, your Holy Spirit can do awesome things to all of us, that we would all be challenged, maybe even held accountable here in this moment. I wouldn't be doing my job, and your, your word wouldn't be uh, in, in its complete effective form if it wasn't making people feel uncomfortable. So I pray, Father, that we would wrestle with this, that we wouldn't just take for granted what it is that we've been given so freely, that we would understand that that we are a part of a grand mission, a calling to be your witness to a world that desperately needs you, that we would be prepared, we would be experts of the gospel, and that we would proclaim it with love, with great patience, and sincerity with an open hand and a willing heart. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 As we conclude every service during this series, we're going to say this together, our creed for this year. Say it with me. We are the church. We have received power from the Holy Spirit. We are Jesus' witness to the world. We will give the love of Jesus to each other, to our community, and to the ends of the earth because we are the church. Amen. I'm going to be back there in that room. You can enter it from back there. Go through the comments. If this is your first time or you've been new, please connect with me. Have a great day. God bless.